0: Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Sotak Andrei. And you're listening to episode 33, in which I am joined by one of the uh, nicest and also the smartest people in our in- industry, Greg Knuckles. If you're listening to this, you are probably very, very familiar with Greg. But if you're not, you definitely should get familiar with him because he produces some of the best articles about the uh, getting strong getting bigger and um, he's also the personification is that a word so he personifies or he exemplifies what it means to not lose the forest for the trees because he can write like his quad kite for example is like i don't know 30,000 words 50,000 words something insane like that but when he goes on a podcast he can also like give you a Thirty-second or one-minute summary of the f- things you should really focus on in. So he has always been just a huge role model for me in that sense. Um, you know, whenever I, uh, I try to talk to someone about a topic, I try to really uh, focus on the big picture uh, because that's really what Greg is uh, so good at. So really like him. I really look up to him, and it was great to finally be able to chat. So this episode will be the first part of our pretty long conversation and this is mostly about the main reasons why strong people are, you guessed it, strong. So we go into genetic factors, we go into environmental factors that might be contributing to uh, their strength, but we also go into some personal stories about greg which i'm sure many will have been familiar with but for some of you hopefully will be something new i really, really liked getting into his uh, <laughs> early memories it was really fun so i hope you enjoyed this and without further ado let's hear from mr greg knuckles greg knuckles finally thank you for joining me in the podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: it's a pleasure to have you on uh i don't know how long we've uh in quotation marks known each other uh i think uh, i just got a notification like recently with mike that it has been i think five years and i for sure known you before him because i remember him from seeing him commenting on one of your posts so it's been at least uh six years probably around 2013 um It was way back when you had the com website.
1: Oh, geez, that's crazy. That was forever ago.
0: Yeah. Then went into the strength theory and now stronger by science. So it's been a while. And um, so, yeah, it's great. It's great to finally be able to uh, talk. Well, it's not really face to face, but it's as close as we are going to get for, (laughs) for now. (laughs) Yes, sir. Okay. So. Um, I'm going to skip the usual introduction uh, stuff because I'm sure people will already be familiar with you what I want to start with instead is your first day at the gym because from what I heard like I listened to uh what's his name T- uh, Travis mash's podcast a while ago and I recall him describing like your first day at the gym when you started bench pressing but perhaps you should tell that story and how that uh went and how much did you press that day
1: So Travis didn't actually see my first first time trying to bench Um when I was whew when I was probably 8 or 9 probably 8 the <laughs> the yeah probably 9 I don't know some somewhere in that general range the uh the the pastor at my church had a weight set down in his basement. And one time we were having like a, a youth event thing at his house. We were down in the basement. Uh, some of the older guys in the youth group um, were like in high school. So they were already uh, working out and like bench pressing for football, baseball, etc. And so like they were doing that. And I was like, Oh, that looks like fun. Can I give it a shot? They're like, okay, sure. Um, So I remember that day I was infuriated because I got 95 and barely missed 100. And I really (laughs) wanted 100. Um, And then uh, somewhere between that point and when I was 10, I hit puberty very early. And my parents got me a weight set for Christmas when I was 10. And I remember on Christmas Day, I could bench 150, um and then I didn't really work out much in the intervening like four years. Uh or like I w- I would do a little bit here and there. Um, but like my parents were big sticklers on like if I was to go lift weights in the basement, I had to have a spotter. And no one was ever available to spot me. So I get like one workout in per two months or something. Um And that was with like a a non standard bar, like you you know, uh, you you know, like the little bars that only weigh like twenty five pounds, that only take up to twenty five pound plates, or like up to ten kilo plates, and like you can't put twenty kilo. Anyway, it it was one of those things. Um, So yeah, I would, you know, get in like the random workout every month or two. Uh, over like the intervening four years, whenever I could find someone to spot me. Um, but then when I started taking lifting seriously was freshman year of high school. Uh, that was like the first time in my life I worked out more than maybe like once a month. Um, and I hadn't maxed on bench in years at that point. Um, and the first day of like freshman year football camp. Uh, I bench 275, uh, so, like, 125 kilos, and, and also, keep in mind, like, I'm, I'm a reasonably large fellow now, back then I was, like, maybe 70 kilos, like, I, I was, I was a relatively small dude, um, so, yeah, I, I, I didn't hit that completely untrained, uh, and, and I also did a ton of push-ups, um, when I was playing football in like elementary school, uh, the coaches were like, "Oh, you want to get good at football? Just do a bunch of calisthenics, like push-ups and jumping jacks and stuff." So I was like, "Okay, I want to be good at football. I trust you, so I'll do a bunch of push-ups and jumping jacks and stuff." So I, I, I had done a ton of push-ups uh, to that point in my life, and like a little bit of benching, but yeah, that's kind of more or less where I started off.
0: Okay, so. Uh, the story, I imagine, got even better. So that's awesome.
1: <laughs> so so one w- one thing just to contextualize that story, though, is like when, when people hear ages, they tend to think like, oh, what was I like at that age? And like the thing you need to keep in mind about me is like, I hit puberty at like eight years old. So like I haven't grown since I was like 11. I hit sixth grade at, like, 175 centimeters, and I'm, like, 178 now. So, like, I-, I was, like, by the time I was 14 years old in high school, I was, like, near the end of puberty. Uh, I would had a, I-, I could grow a beard, like, a pretty decent beard from the time I was about 12. Like, I started shaving when I was 10. So, like, w- w- when I say I hit you know, X amount of weight at 10 years old, that's probably analogous to, like, 13, 14 years old in terms of, like, typical physiological development, and then by 14, it was, like, physiological development similar to that of, like, a 17, 18-year-old, so just, just to give that story a little bit more context.
0: Right, but still, I mean, 70 kilos, and uh, hundred twenty plus kilo bench press, I mean you go to any gym and you do that, and people will look at you like, "Wow, you're strong. I mean, most people can't really bench their body weight for reps, let alone um was that more than one point five times your body weight for a single that's that's impressive like just to give you an example where I started uh I started like I had a friend who like had some weights and stuff. And, um, he had basically two bars, like, but it wasn't, they weren't like, you know, the usual commercial bar. They were just, one of those. I think they were like, uh, uh, what's the, what's the word wielded? So basically they were just, I don't know, it was, wasn't even, it was metal, but anyway, it was in a rural area. And I think the, lar- the larger one was like 80 kilos. That was the big boy bar. And the smaller one, I think it was 30. So, I mean you had to lay under that bar cause you didn't have anything else. So I, I tried to press that and it fell on my chest and I was like 16. So 30 kilos, uh, it buried me <laughs> on my first attempt. So there you have it. There's a, the contrast for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, d- different people just start in different places. So like my wife, uh, she started lifting when she was like 18 or 19. Uh, but she's like. Hopefully I don't screw these these centimeters up too bad, but I think she's like 185-ish centimeters. And she was like 65 kilos. Like she was very, very skinny. Um, and her first day in the gym, she benched 40 kilos. So like, she was like very, very naturally strong. And then on the flip side, uh, my buddy Easy, he, uh, so, <laughs> uh, he he was an uh, immigrant from Nigeria, and when he came to the U.S., dude was like, I don't know, maybe 55 kilos soaking wet. Like, he was super scrawny. And the first time he tried to bench, uh, he failed with just the standard 20 kilo bar. Um, and then within two years of lifting, he'd put on, like, jeez like, 35-plus kilos of muscle and was benching. And and so, like, at that point, he was, like, quite jacked. Um, But, like, at that point, he had a good bench, but not nearly as much as you'd expect based on, like, how much muscle he gained. I think his bench was, like, 140-ish. But but still, like, he went from, like, 20 to 140. But keep in mind, like, at this point, he's, like, 93 94 kilos and like lean and jacked uh so like it, you would expect him to bench more but still like he was also super super weak the first time he touched a bar but then just like exploded when he started lifting so you know like people are just different
0: yeah okay i can already really tell you. this is going to be a really interesting conversation because you have your obviously you you're a former world record holder so you have very different uh expectations or at least uh you're accustomed to much different uh, weights being loaded both for you and for others than i am because you know i i work at a regular gym and over here like if you bench more than 100 kilos you're strong like if you bench more than 120 then you're like really strong and if you bench more like 140 then you're like holy crap, dude <laughs> what kind of stairs do you take That's regardless, regardless if you're on steroids or not. And even if, like, even if the, even the, like, I have a couple of guys who are on on Juice and they don't bench more than 140, 150 maybe for one rep. And they are, like, big, like, over 90 kilos. So... I don't know we'll touch on this later it's what might be the factors but I'm curious did you ever think about why have why you just had some sort of genetic anomaly that that happened like I'm sure others would say that you probably drank too much hormone rich milk or some sort of <laughs> environmental uh, hormonal <laughs> influences uh, cause you to grow that or mature that uh, rapidly?
1: <laughs> so I I I have heard people say that uh, like hormones in the milk cause people to hit puberty earlier. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't looked into it. Frankly, I don't care. Uh, but if that is a thing, that would explain a lot. Um, like... My brother, like my parents, were big on like having me and my brother drink milk, so we'd have strong bones. And like we were doing Gomad before it was a thing, uh, just because like if we got thirsty, our parents instead of saying like oh get a glass of water they'd say get a glass of milk.
0: <laughs> <That's> so <it.
1: laughs> like we, we were going through and and this was skim milk, not whole milk, so not like full classic Gomad. Uh, but but we were both putting down, like, close to a gallon of skim milk a day from the time we were, like, eight or nine years old. Uh, so so uh, who knows? Like, maybe that had something to do with it. But but no, so um, in terms of, like, me in particular, why I'm probably so strong, I think it's a combination. Uh, and, and more importantly, like, why I was, like, fairly strong when I first touched a bar I think it's two things primarily. One is absolutely clearly genetics. Um, so, like, just for context, uh, my father love him to death. He's like the same height as me, and like maybe sixty five kilos, and like not big. So, like, he's been he's been lifting for God five or six years at this point. Um, and, like, I know his bench has cleared 60 kilos, but I don't know if he's hit 80 yet. He's, he's like, somewhere in that range. Um, not a strong man. My mother, on the other hand, and her whole side of the family are – are slash were just unbelievably strong. So, like, on that side of the family, I have, like, cousins, like, multiple cousins who are Division I athletes – uh, most people wind up like the women in the eighty to nine or one eighty to one ninety centimeter range. The men, I don't know centimeters that high, but like
0: <laughs> you can tell in feet, it's okay.
1: Okay, so it's anywhere between like six three and six eight, uh, and just big, and they're all outrageously strong. So like at this point, like, I've definitely put more time and effort into lifting than anyone else in my family. But, like, when I go to family reunions with that side of the family, uh, I'm definitely one of the smaller people, and at this point I am, like, one of the stronger people, but there are over a dozen people considerably stronger than I am who either, like, you know, maybe lifted when they were younger, but just don't do much of anything anymore or like sometimes go to the gym and just piddle around at it. Or like there are some people who like, I think I would beat them in a powerlifting meet just because that's what I train for. But like if we did say a strongman contest or something like that, that I don't have as much specific training for, I know they would just absolutely mop the floor with me in spite of doing absolutely nothing. So like that's half of my genetic draw. Um, and so like, I, I absolutely know that plays a role. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, I had a very active childhood and I did a fair amount of like physical manual labor, um, did some farm work. Uh, we burned a wood fire during the winter, like to stay warm. So. Chopping down trees, hauling wood, like picking up logs, loading them into the trailer, doing that for like hours and days at a time to make sure we would have enough firewood for the winter. Um, so, like, and then, like I said, I also obsessively did push ups. <laughs> so, uh, like, a, a combination of of nature and nurture. So, I, I, f- I feel like that's probably what it would be for pretty much anyone who who is fairly strong the first time they touch a barbell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you about your childhood and if it was uh, very, well, not just physically active, but also heavy uh, work, uh, intensive, and it looks like it was. And I noticed the same thing, especially with women. Like, um, you know, uh, in the city I live, is like the second biggest city, and it's uh, a big university center basically so a lot of universities and people come from all around the the country and like most women or I guess the women most like whatever 20 25 something like that uh, most of them who are drawn to lifting weights who are willing to lift weights and who are lifting like decent weights uh, inevitably like I would say 95 out of 100 have grown up in a village and have done some sort of uh, at least somewhat challenging physical work, like you know anything that would solicit them physically, because otherwise, just really don't do anything, and then it's not r- surprising that uh one you're not really strong, and two you're not really drawn to like uh, manly stuff like <laughs> lifting weights.
1: No, for sure, man. I so so that's actually one one area where I wish there was more research, because um, like when we see people who uh like they try lifting weights and they just seem very naturally good at it uh when they start lifting as an adult um oftentimes we just assume that that's all due to genetics but at least when you look at at other factors of human existence so like personality traits for example um they seem to be Uh, certainly heritable, but also very strongly influenced by experiences during uh, childhood. So there's a part of me that wonders, like, you know, like, obviously nature, like the genetic component has a huge impact. But there's a part of me that wonders how much of it is also due to like, like, like early... Heavy physical activity exposure, um, and I, I haven't seen any research trying to tease that out. But I mean, so like, I grew up in a place where, when when we all went to high school, basically like half of us were were country folk, uh, and I was I was among them, and then the other half were kind of more like bougie suburb dwellers. Um, and like w- when we played sports, like oftentimes they were better at sports than we were because they had more money. They had like their parents had like hired like private coaches for them at an early age, etc. Uh, but like us farm, us farm boys did tend to do considerably better in the weight room. Uh, and like I, I was definitely one of the strongest people at my school, but there were there were absolutely other people with a background similar to mine who like first time they touched a bar they'd bench you know at least like 70 80 kilos with no prior experience like that that wasn't incredibly uncommon uh, at least for people with like a background similar to mine whereas for the people like coming from the other side of of the county we grew up in um, like 60 kilos the first time they tried benching was quite rare um, so i i very strongly believe that That uh like manual labor in early childhood uh helps influence what appears to be genetics later in life. Uh and and at that point it it very well may be, because you can't go back when you're 20 and change what you were doing when you were five, you know? Um so so, you know, by the time you're an adult, it it may as well be a genetic factor, because it it seems or it may be immutable. Uh, but I I at least suspect that that's uh one factor a lot of people don't account for um that as far as i know there's there's very little or possibly no research on
0: oh yeah i had the same experience uh, i grew up in a small village and we did the same except i was uh my mother was in hindsight probably too protective so i didn't really do a whole lot of i mean i did but i didn't have to go like chop down the trees i would just help my grandfather like put them up in uh, whatever in that whatever it's called you know when you arrange them in in that uh, high tall whatever you put one over the other <laughs> or whatever that's called in a row and uh, yeah so I, I was kind of left out of that and probably that's why I was kind of weaker but yeah I have the same experience there were a couple of guys who like were just naturally tr- strong and they they just worked and uh, as far as the uh nature versus nurture like i just posted like two days ago on instagram that uh it was a quote from seneca and basically it was that i feel pity for you because uh you never known uh adversity and you don't know how strong or whatever you don't know no one knows what you're capable of not even you something like that and i, w- I was mentioning that in my caption that um Like, almost all the people I respect, who I look up to, I admire, um, I agree with, or I can get along with, basically, um, all have had some sort of rough childhood, either physically and or mentally. Like, maybe they had a father who left them, maybe their mother left them, maybe they had a a brother or sister they had to take care of, and uh, they just basically became stronger, both mentally and physically. And I guess they become more conscientious, because... Um, I noticed that I I am I think more conscientious than the average people or the average person I guess and I tend to be annoyed by by uh, non conscientious people you know who the people who um, my age or younger who just seem to party and uh, don't really take life seriously I mean that's just my perspective that by the time you're like 25 you should be um, aiming to have some sort of goal in life. I mean, if you're 16 and you, or you care about partying and drinking, that's cool, but at 25, it's kind of, you know, you <laughs> should be past that point, I guess. But anyway, my point is that uh, I think that conscientiousness has the influence of um, of their childhood. And I guess the same can be extended to physical uh, attributes and traits.
1: Man, I, I, I don't know how we get along then. <laughs> Uh, I, I I would say I had like a physically strenuous childhood but not like a tough one at all uh, and so I, I've taken the big five personality test and I'm extremely low in conscientiousness <laughs> oh I, I absolutely am um, I only get stuff done because I set hard deadlines for myself and then kill myself to meet those deadlines, because so like I hate missing deadlines, but I'm not good at motivating myself at all without a deadline
0: hmm, but isn't that like a sign of conscientiousness like I think the people who are really non conscious don't even bother setting a deadline, you know, like they just don't care, or perhaps I just misunderstand what it
1: i I think conscientious people tend to be more like self-motivated, um, and like don't miss deadlines just because they don't procrastinate in the first place.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty bad at. I mean, I postpone my. Um, I I think it. I did I uh, was it you or Mike I I, I talked about with this. I was mentioning that I uh, kind of postponed my my thesis for a while and then just, uh, <laughs> had to start because it was already late. But, and he said, either it was you or Mike said, just, you know, just start one day and write something and the next day write something a bit more and so on and so forth. Uh, wasn't it you who mentioned something like that about writing? So,
1: some, something I have said less with like an end product, like a thesis and more just like to develop skills as a writer is just to make sure you take time to write something every day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> anyway, it could be could be uh, someone else I'm thinking of. OK, so we already pointed out that uh, this big catchphrase, generics, accounts uh, for a lot of uh, variability we see between people. Um, what What is it or uh, what exactly this means uh, when people say generics? What, why is it that, I don't know, uh, World record holders, for example, can squat 250 plus kilos at 80 kilos. Meanwhile, most people are stuck at whatever, 120 or under 150 for sure. Um, Is it just that they are not really uh, pushing themselves or are there some objective factors that are simply... Uh, differentiating those people who are excelling in this uh, area.
1: So to start with, so when, when I talk about genetics, I kind of use it more as like a shorthand for like factors that are more or less fixed by the time you hit adulthood, cause, cause the thing is like in, in terms of genetic research, there's two general paradigms people would would go about looking into stuff like that so uh what used to be considered the gold standard and what is still quite good uh are twin studies so essentially like i don't think a twin study has ever been done for resistance training um but how that would look is essentially you, you would get multiple pairs of twins uh, put everyone on the same training program and then see like how closely the gains of each pair of twins matched like within itself. So if, if something has very strong uh, like if, if something is very, very strongly influenced by genetics. So let's say height, for example um, if you get pairs of identical twins, uh, maternal twins, they'll almost always be, you know, within like two centimeters of each other height wise. Uh typically closer than that. So like you can look at that and say, like, okay, this is a trait that is very, very highly heritable. We know that uh like nurture has an impact as well. So, you know, if someone's like severely malnourished during childhood, they won't grow as tall. But for the most part, especially like twins living in the same house, they receive similar nurture, they wind up to be pretty much the same height Um, versus something with, uh, that's like not, not as heritable. Um, So I'm trying to think of a good good example.
0: Obesity. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. So that's actually not a bad, a bad example. Um, so susceptibility to fat gain, uh, during overfeeding, um, Claude Bouchard did some studies on that back in the day. And like the, the heritability of height is something like 0.9 plus, um, with like zero being no relationship and 1.0 being like perfect relationship seems to be exclusively due to heritable factors. Uh, I think susceptibility to fat gain during controlled overfeeding, uh, the heritability of that is something closer to like 0. 0.6. So still quite heritable, but not nearly to the same degree as height is. So there it seems like nurture factors and like lifestyle choices, blah, 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 certainly make a, a bigger difference. Um, so yeah, we, we don't have twin studies on resistance training to know or at least have like a better estimate of like how heritable um, uh, like susceptibility to strength gains and hypertrophy with resistance training is, uh, which is unfortunate because that would be, th- that would help answer a lot of questions. The, and that that kind of, so that sort of experiment takes kind of like a macroscopic view of things where you say, here's two people who we know have not identical, but very close to identical genetics. Let's see if when they're exposed to the same intervention or when we take the same measurement on them, if those two outcomes are very, very similar. Uh, and then on the opposite side of things are just individual gene studies where they genotype people, look at specific genes that are theorized, to have an impact on whatever physiological variable you're interested in, Uh have a bunch of people do the same intervention and then look at uh, different allele variants for the same gene and see if like the people with the quote unquote good version of the allele had better outcomes than the people with the quote unquote bad version so for example, the aCE gene um, there's like a, a, a copy of that that seems to promote strength gains and hypertrophy and also allow people to like make the same or greater progress with less training volume than people with the quote unquote bad version of that allele. Um, And there have been something like 21 individual genes like that, that have been identified. Uh, I tend to think that that way of looking at things is a little bit too reductionistic and also not all that helpful. Um, Because like if, say if you got all 21 of those genes checked, uh, you would have a mix of like quote unquote good versions and quote unquote bad versions um, just due to like the the variability of those different allele frequencies within the population. Um, so it, it wouldn't give you unambiguously good news or bad news. So it wouldn't be all that useful for you. But those studies do show that, yes, there are specific genes that we can identify that do seem to influence either like baseline phenotypic measures like muscle mass, power, force output, uh, or um, seem to significantly modify the outcomes people get in response to training. So, you know, that's very clear evidence that genetics do make like a quantifiable difference, which I don't think you would have to sell too many people on that idea in the first place. Um, but we do have like direct mechanistic evidence of that as well. Uh, so that answers the first part of your question. Um, the second part is: you see some people who are just way bigger and stronger than others. Um, is it a, a difference in how hard they work, or like what are some like quantifiable things that may be different about them? Uh, so. I mean, realistically, there probably is a difference in how hard, say, like a world champion lifter trains compared to the average person in the gym. Um, Because for one, like that is their sport. It's probably a fairly large part of their identity. Probably a pretty large portion of their lifestyle revolves around it versus someone else who's just doing it for fun, health, fitness, maybe to look a little better. So yeah, yeah. like the world champion is probably training substantially harder than the typical person at the gym. But I feel like if you normalize that, so if you took the world champion and had them train with the same general volume and intensity as the typical person at the gym, they'd still wind up way bigger and stronger on average. Um, and if, if you dispute that Find the biggest, strongest person at your gym who just kind of loafs around. Get them to train really hard for three years and see if they can beat Ray Williams. Like that's that's all all I have to say about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, like th- th- there there is probably a difference in how hard people work, uh, and that certainly matters. But I think the the degree to which that matters may often be overstated. Um, then, in terms of like innate factors that differ, um, so one, a lot of people don't realize this. Some people's muscles are just stronger than other people's, like per unit of size. So there's a measure called normalized muscle force, um, which is just the contractile force of the muscle divided by its physiological cross-sectional area, um, and it that varies. Quite considerably between people, um, so if you take someone whose um, normalized muscle force is like one standard deviation worse than normal, which like that's that's not bad like that's still comfortably within the typical range, and someone whose normalized muscle force is one standard deviation better than average, which again we're not talking outliers that's still like perfectly within the normal range of what you'd expect uh, person b per unit of muscle size would be something like 30 to 40% stronger than person A. Um, Then when you start talking about people who are two, three standard deviations from the mean, you start dealing with quite substantial differences. Um, So in all likelihood, people who don't weigh that much, you know, obviously have a fair amount of muscle on their frame, but aren't like crazy muscular and still lift a ton of weight. Uh, they probably just have higher normalized muscle force, which does increase with training, but there are quite large differences just at baseline. Um, so yeah, like those people, like just just on a per unit of muscle basis are likely just stronger, uh, and that is how it is. Then also we know that there's quite wide variability in how well people respond to training. Um, So this was probably best illustrated by Hugh Ball and colleagues in 2005. Um, They did a really big study where they had, uh, I think, 523 completely untrained people uh, train bicep curls like three times a week for six months, I believe. Uh, So again, like these folks are, are absolutely completely untrained. Um... Obviously, you're dealing with human subjects. You can't control every part of their lifestyle. You can't control nutrition, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Everyone realizes that. But when you look at the variability in outcomes, like they were large enough that no reasonable person would look at them and say like, oh, that's just because some of these people slept more or ate more protein. <laughs> so in terms of hypertrophy, um... There were – so the the worst responses, they actually experienced, like, a slight decrease in biceps cross-sectional area, um, going from, like, untrained to training for six months. Uh, And then the best responders, their biceps cross-sectional area increased, like, 50% plus. Um, And the average was, like, 20%. So, you know, 20% increase in muscle size in six months. Like, that's quite substantial. But then there were some people who were getting gains two and a half times better than what was average. Um, Strength gains were similar. Uh, I don't remember what the mean increase in one rep max was. I think it was like 30 to 40%-ish, somewhere around 30%. Um, And I don't think anyone actually got weaker, which is an encouraging sign. Uh, But with a mean of somewhere around a 30% increase, the largest increase was... Uh, like a twofold uh, change, so you know some people getting thirty percent stronger, some people getting literally twice as strong. Um, so again, yeah, like there there were uncontrolled factors in that study as there were in every study. Um, but that's that's a huge difference that uh, I feel like to not ascribe at least some of that variability to just sheer innate differences. Uh, in how well people respond to training, you just have to be burying your head in the sand. Like you can't can't account for that much variability with like nutrition and sleep and lifestyle factors. Um, And then for any specific sport, there are also just like body types that that will be better or worse suited to that sport. Um, So for example, uh, if you want someone who's going to be a really good deadlifter, they're probably gonna have Uh, especially if they're a sumo deadlifter, they're going to have crazy mobile hips and they're going to have super long arms. Um, there have absolutely been people who are quite strong sumo deadlifters that don't have those characteristics. Uh, but the people who like pull so much, it just makes me angry. Uh, (laughs) they all have crazy long arms, crazy mobile hips. Um, so, and and that's, that's like another physiologic like physical biomechanical characteristic, which that's just bone structure, which is purely heritable. Um, that is also going to determine competitive success on top of just how strong your muscles are pre-training and how well you respond to training.
0: Okay. Um, I was taking some notes in the meanwhile, cause uh, I don't want to forget. So the first point you brought up was this whole, uh, basically force per uh, unit of uh, muscle mass, which makes sense. I mean, that would explain why some people like can put up uh, huge numbers and are not that strong. Meanwhile, there are some people who are jacked and are comparatively not as strong as you would imagine them, just based on a visual assessment. And then you have people who um, kind of have both. Like, I don't know if you know who Sam What is
1: is. Uh, that name doesn't ring a bell.
0: Okay, so he was uh, a WMBF uh, world champion, he is like my height, 6 feet, so 183, and he was at 100 kilos uh, in contest shape, which I calculated is 28.3 fat-free mass index, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a lot. Uh, I'm around 22 if memory serves, so there you go. Uh, but he also she <laughs> just put up like a couple of days ago some squat lifts on on Instagram, three uh, hundred something kilo squat at like hundred and I don't know Oof. ten kilo body weight, yeah. So he, yeah. I mean he said that he's like five kilo under the IPF Masters record and like thirty under the IPF Open record, something like that. So he's basically world record or well elite bodybuilder and also like. Uh, elite powerlifter <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, level, so he has both of those uh, uh, <laughs> fields covered.
1: he uh, he, he picks some good parents.
0: And the second point I wanted to bring up, which is that you said that you know you have to be really uh, uh, delusional to deny it. I mean, <laughs> I have this discussion in the gym. Like, I don't know why some people they are so hard to accept this uh, differentiation that if someone else can do it, then. Well, one is the idea that if someone else can do it, then I can do it too, which is not true. But also, if I can do it, then no one else can do it, which is equally not true. <laughs> like, sometimes I, whatever, see something on Instagram, I just saw it to someone, and another guy who's like Nathan Williams, another one of those crazy uh, black guy freaks, um, just crazy insertions, but also huge muscle mass. And I was showing it to someone, and she was like, no way, that guy is natural. And I was like, why not? Well, she said that, well, you go ahead and eat like him. And do you, I was like, do you really think that was make the difference? Like what he eats or what I eat? I mean, look at his insertions. Fucking let's start at his waist. I mean, mine is like one meter higher. <laughs> like what am I going to do to change
1: that? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what I always tell people is like, you know, imagine you could go back in time and devote every waking moment of your life to basketball. Do you, do you honestly think you would be as good as LeBron James? And most people, reasonably, would say no, because they're not idiots. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, so why do you think just through sheer physical force of will you can be as good as people who are equally elite in this other physical pursuit? Like, why why does that logic not translate? Uh, and when you explain it in those terms, then people, like a light bulb might come on. But yeah, like it's... I think, I think people are, It it is weird because people have that weird, I like, egalitarian belief about the gym where in all other areas of life, different people have different aptitudes and, like, you know, you may be smart, but, like, Einstein was smarter than you and, like, that's just the way it is and... Mm. Like, if you just would have learned more math growing up, you would not have been smarter than Einstein. And, like, pe- people get that. Uh, but then, as soon as you put them in the gym, it's like, well, okay, if anyone is better than me, they must be cheating in some way, shape, or form. Like, and that, and people just don't apply that logic to pretty much anything else in life. And I think, I think there are a few reasons for that. I think one, um, that's kind of like what fitness marketing tries to make people believe where like, you know, every coach who uses before and afters as like a marketing thing uh, or anyone who's like selling a diet or training program uh, and they're like giving testimonials for like marketing material, like they pick the people who do the best. Uh, And so like you're constantly bombarded with, you know, here's someone who did this program, and here's how strong they got, and by George, if you buy this program, you can expect the exact same thing. Uh, so, like, that—that that is messaging folks are constantly bomb- bombarded with. Two, I think that folks, like, the more emotionally invested people get in stuff, the harder it is to be rational about it. Um so I mean, so I was I was also just plain dumber back then. But like I remember when I was nineteen or twenty, um, and I was like starting to get quite strong, like world class level strong. Uh, like I believe, like yeah, like I'm I'm just getting here because like I just train way harder than everyone else, and they're all mm. just pussies. Yeah. Uh, and like I was crazy invested in the sport back then. Like I still train, but it's not. It's not like as big of a part of who I am now, and so I think I can look at it with a little bit more rationality than I could back then. Um, so so I, I think that's part of it. Where you know, if 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 I use the the LeBron James analogy with someone who like maybe shoots some hoops now and again, but you know, being a great basketball player isn't a deep part of their identity, they can accept like, oh yeah, I'm just not as good as that guy. But then when it's something that matters more to them they they want to believe it less because since that is like such a large part of their identity, I, I think they feel as if that somewhat diminishes them because um, especially if that's like what they're deriving their self-worth from. And then I think part of it is, uh, I mean, just the fact that steroids are a thing. So using the Einstein example, uh, you know, like... Uh Adderall exists, but like Adderall isn't the difference between like the dumbest person you know and albert einstein like you <laughs> you can't, you can't take brain boosting drugs to make you a genius, but like steroids are a thing, and they make people a lot bigger uh and a lot stronger and so like you you know that that exists, and so you can kind of give yourself that out with lifting that you can't in other aspects of life where there's not as as clear of pharmacological aid, you know?
0: Mm, yeah, again, so many good points uh, brought up. Uh, I remember at one point you said, I don't know if it was in a podcast or in written form that, you know, uh, in other sports, there's usually a big uh, or a very well drawn line between professionals and amateurs. Like you can't just go on and whatever. Uh, play some football with Lionel Messi, you can just go and play like tennis with Roger Federer, but hey, if you go to New York, and I have a client who has been to Taylor Atwood's gym, he said, hey, you can, if you want to, you can squat in the same squat rack right? with Taylor Atwood, for example, who is a IPF uh, uh, top three guy for sure. I mean, he's a world record holder in the bench press, if uh, I know it uh, correctly. So... There you go. <laughs> you can have uh, those things happen to you. And I think that's where these, um, where the lack of limitation sort of uh, comes in. You don't see that clear distinction between yourself and that other guy and it uh, can be harder to accept. And also uh, what you said about the uh, identity part. Like, yeah, um, I had this happen in Instagram like a year ago, two years ago. There was a 3DMJ guy, a 20-year-old kid, uh, I left a comment, something about whatever. I just congratulated him and he had, I said that, hey, you have amazing general good for you and I, you have a bright future. I said something similar and he was like, uh, he made a post that, you know, lately that I'm been getting leaner People have been saying that, oh, I have good genetics and it's all hard work. And even Jared Feather commented like, dude, like you have great genetics. No one is saying that you're not working hard. That doesn't take away from your work. It just objectively speaking, if you put in as much work as the other guy, you can go higher. And that's all they're saying. They're not saying that you're not working hard. And uh, uh, on the other hand, I have in-person examples like i have a friend of mine who works at my gym and he's a very good uh, natural bodybuilder his entire life is uh, around bodybuilding basically his diet is super strict but uh, he's never going to be a world-class guy it just doesn't have the insertion doesn't have the muscle mass i mean it is what it is so even with him i had some discussions i sent him some pics of whatever, Cliff Wilson's clients and stuff like that. And we had that discussion that, oh, I'm sure those guys are enhanced and uh, whatnot. And that was because it was hard for him to accept that he has put his entire life on the line, basically. And uh, he's not as good as uh, some of those guys are. So yeah, I agree.
1: So so one of the reasons I talk about genetics and, and heritable differences and like why there's such a big like like how and why there is such a big like dispersal and outcomes that people get is oftentimes like oftentimes the folks that bring up genetics just try to do it as a cop-out like it's mostly people who are fairly weak and fairly strong and they throw genetics out there to diminish the work that someone else put in um, like or or to justify why they haven't made any progress which like it could be entirely true that they got a really bad genetic draw and trained super super hard but in my experience that's not typical like it's often people who just kind of half-ass it and then anyone better than them just has great genetics uh so i i do think that uh and i certainly think that's the perception out there as well that like Folks who bring up genetics are doing it to diminish the hard work of others and to make excuses for their own lack of gains so like I'm someone who Like very clearly has good genetics for lifting and who has very clearly made gains throughout my training career so I see it as like kind of my duty to talk about it because like I can discuss this stuff without people just being like Oh, you're just a jealous hater, and you're bringing up genetics because you're exactly. weak, you know. But yeah, so I, I do, I do kind of understand why someone would respond negatively to that because I, I, I think a lot of times when people do bring up genetics, it's not with entirely pure intentions.
0: Yeah, so it's really hard to tell exactly what someone means, especially you know, on Instagram. I kind of learned the hard way in like the past four, five, six months. Uh, it's really difficult to properly express what you mean uh, without being misunderstood, especially on delicate or sensitive topics. So it's not the best medium. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's complicated because it's, it's tough to talk about this really, really is because, you know, if you look, like I talk about the fact that just because someone looks great doesn't mean that they are a great coach because that's my livelihood and I face this every single day even. I see, objectively speaking, idiots who are just clueless, just take steroids and get jacked and whatever, now they're trainers. Um, (laughs) And basically they have people going uh, to work with them because they look good. And unfortunately, this seems to be more prevalent over here in Romania than perhaps in the US, although I'm sure there are some parts where uh, it's the same thing going on. Now on the other hand, if you look great and you uh, talk about the genetics, then people will also say, "But well, it's good for you. it's easy for you to talk because you got the good hand. <laughs> you were dealt the right cards, so you know it's it's, it's either way you're screwed." So stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's ge- genetics, steroids, sex, and like race are the four things in fitness that you really can't bring up without at least some people getting mad. I think one of the reasons why bringing up race, genetics, or drugs is always so controversial is that, like, typically when people bring those things up, they are using it in a, um, like, they're, they're, they're not bringing it up with good intentions. Like, they're not just trying to have a, a reasonable discussion about it. It, it is more often than not to like attempt to discredit something that someone has done. Um, I think one of the reasons why sex is so controversial is that like <laughs> men have fragile egos. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I think that's a fair amount of it. Where, like, if so, when you look at the literature uh, on a relative basis, it seems women gain about as much muscle and strength in response to training as men do. So, you know, men are on average bigger and stronger than women. But if a guy starts with 30 kilos of muscle, a woman starts with 20 kilos of muscle, they train for two years. If the guy puts on six kilos of muscle in response to training, the woman could reasonably, um, expect to put on four. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a
0: 20%.
1: Yeah. That's a 20% increase for both of them. Um, and so, like, man, any time I write an article or, like, make a post saying something like that, which, like, there's a tremendous amount of literature to back up. So if, if, if you look at uh, a lot of the things that we believe very strongly in fitness, so, like, let's say the dose-response relationship between volume and hypertrophy. Uh, the most recent meta-analysis on that had, I want to say, like, 15-ish studies included, thereabouts. Um, which like th- that's a decent body of literature. Like that's that's worth a statistical review. Uh, but when you're looking at like sex differences and relative increases in strength, there's like 80 plus studies. Like it's a huge body of literature. So like those are statements you can make very confidently. Um, but then like I still get uh men and exclusively men um trying to say like, no, that's bullshit men have testosterone women don't men get jacked women don't even gain muscle like it's all a myth uh or people who like need me to swaddle their or to coddle their ego and they're like yeah yeah well men are still bigger and stronger like the absolute increase is still bigger in men so like yeah women still suck and it's like yeah like men are bigger and stronger like look out at the world that should be obvious like you don't need me to validate that for you and like if if you took anything else away like if if that was in question based on what you think i wrote you just didn't read closely so yeah i i think i think that's the reason that one's controversial
0: <laughs> oh yeah i agree and that's why honestly i'm so annoyed when women are one they are advertised or but i'm annoyed by these idiot instagram workouts like booty this and booty that like jesus christ for fuck's sake like uh, oh my god anyway but I just, so i tried to do this uh at my gym at least i tried to persuade women to stop dicking around with like banded body weight weightless crap like get a barber get some dumbbells hop on the machines load them up heavy eat some protein <laughs> Don't be afraid to eat calories, gain weight and gain muscle, and you will look much better. Like, oh, um, my, that's like half of my day <laughs> spent each day. And uh, I agree, like, uh, I can, I know half a dozen of women at my gym who are, like, stronger than the average guy. Um, I have, I have female clients who, like, do, like, deadlifts with more than most guys. So, yeah, it,
1: I agree. Nice. Yeah, man. Like the the fitness industry in general is shady, but like women's fitness is considerably <laughs> shadier than men's fitness. Or I I I don't even know that I'd say shadier, just shittier. Uh,
0: you see these women who are either either genetically blessed, or they have been doing like proper lifting for like five years, and now all of a sudden they have discovered like Instagram, and uh, they have are promoting like bullshit workouts and there are some women like Bret's, uh girls um, many of them are good at highlighting you know at least some of the time that hey you know all the fluff work I do that's just great but here's all the heavy lifts I also do and this is what has built my, my foundation and that's great to see but uh I legit know some go- some girls who I know who their coach is. <laughs> I know the guy. I know what workouts he programs for them. And then I go through the this girl's feed, and all I see is this body weight, banded crap. Uh, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, why? You know. But hey, it gets the like. It gets the attention. So.
1: Yeah, man. I I feel like, I feel like social media. And, and instagram specifically overall has probably been a good thing for fitness because um, it it helps it helps level the playing field so back when back when if you wanted to get your message out to people if it was solely the purview of like magazines and a couple big websites then like they were the gatekeepers and if they wanted to promote bullshit and you wanted to promote good stuff like you didn't have a voice um So social media does help level the playing field. And so you can get like more people can get good information to more people than they could before. Um, But yeah, there there are absolutely perverse incentives on those platforms where, um, so like I do, I do Instagram just for fun. Like I have so many like business coaches or whatever, like messaging me on Instagram uh, messaging me on Facebook and being like, Hey dude, I checked out your social media and like, it's not optimized for business. You're, you're burning so much money. Your Instagram sucks. And it's like, yeah, it's not a business account. Like it's my personal account. Uh, I'll share articles on there, but then mostly it's just like occasional lifting video, things I eat, pictures of my dog. Like, (laughs) yeah. And, but, so, like, I don't take Instagram seriously at all. But, like, people who have, like, an Instagram-based business, um, you know, you need to grow your page if you want to increase your reach. And, uh, you know, let's say you're you're a woman and you're selling, hey, I can make your butt look better. Like, if, if, that, if that is the service you're selling, which is a perfectly legitimate service, and I fully support anyone who who specializes in that niche, doing doing the world a great favor there. Um, you know, if, if what you're doing is like squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts, uh, you can't just do posts of squats, deadlifts, hip thrusts every day. Like you could, but like people are going to get bored of that. It's not going to get as much reach. And so like, you know, it, it, it can become a catch 22 of like, do I put out good information or do I like constantly churn out "quote unquote" novel content that's going to do a do a better job with the algorithm? You know, um. So I, I some people absolutely thread that needle really really well. So, um, uh, Aaron Horschig, Squat University, like I think he does a really good job of putting out informative content. That's that's. I, I quibble with him about some things, but for the most part, it's quite accurate. I recently
0: um, have seen some stuff that's disappointing, but anyway, gonna.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I would say overall, most of his stuff is quite good. Um, so he, he hasn't had to like sell his soul. He's been putting out good information and he's been able to like parlay that into a large audience. And at least from the outside looking in what appears to be a, a quite successful business. Um, But, you know, that's that's hard. And I can't think of that many people who have who have done that effectively Um, and certainly not in a niche as specific as, you know, I make your butt look better, you know, (laughs) Brett. (laughs) So it's it's tough, man, because, you know, do you do, do you do you stick to the boring basics and limit your reach or do you sell out a little bit? to get a larger reach and then the good information you do put out, then be able to get that out to a bigger audience. Like it's, yeah. it's tough.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of in the same situation. Cause, um, I put out what I consider to be quality information, but I have been at 1400 followers for like two years. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just kind of how it goes.
0: It's so one, um, genetic, factor I wanted to specifically address is this structural uh, advantage uh, discussion or anthropometry Um, just yesterday I was talking with someone I was mentioning that I'm weak and he was like yeah well but you have long arms for bench pressing I was like "Ah, that doesn't matter that much I'm just weak (laughs) and uh, I remember that you wrote an excellent article about this and you know you I think it was an article and basically you said that um you know, some people have this idea that your reach or what do you reach, whatever, your build, your you have long arms for uh, deadlifts or short arms for bench press is going to make, I don't know, 50% difference and you did the math, and it's a much smaller figure. Could you briefly address this?
1: Let me preface this by saying I think it may be different for squat. and um, Just because if someone's built really, really poorly for squat, it could substantially affect their ability to like hit depth. In a safe position, but to start with, let's just assume it doesn't. <laughs> um, so the uh, the the total amount of knee plus hip extension torque you need to overcome when you lift is uh, like the resistance you're working against. So combination of weight on the bar and your body weight times. Uh, the length of your femur times the cosine of the angle of your femur relative to the ground. Uh, the reason you can just sub in length of your femur there is like basically the knee moment arm picks up where the hip moment arm leaves off. Um, so essentially, like if you're the the only thing you're really manipulating there is just the length of the femur. Um, and so if someone's femur is 10 percent longer relative to their height than the uh, like actual joint moments they have to overcome to move any given external resistance about 10 percent higher at any given point in the lift Um, and so you know like human anthropometry varies considerably you know like some people are 140 centimeters and some people are 220 but in terms of like relative to your height there's not all that much variability. Um, otherwise, like, humans just wouldn't work that well. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. when, when you talk about someone who has, like, outlier-type femur length, you're talking about someone whose femurs relative to their height is maybe, like, 20% longer than the typical person on average. You're not talking, like, a two-fold difference or anything mm. like that. So if you just look at the the actual effects on the joint moments and and thus how much muscle contractile force would then have to increase to make up for it, it's not a huge difference. And also, um, I don't I don't know that there's been work on this in humans, but at least in other animal species, muscle internal moment arms. So there we're talking like origin and insertion points and whatnot mm-hmm. seem to scale. Uh, essentially one-to-one with changes in bone length so basically someone who has longer femurs would would tend to on average have longer internal moment arms for both hip extension and knee extension which would essentially cancel out the fact that their femurs are longer in the first place um and in fact when you look at uh the research trying to that tries to like look and see whether like anthropometric variables affect squat performance. Um, the literature is kind of mixed, uh, regarding whether femur length specifically or leg length in general, um, affects squatting performance. So like there's a few papers that didn't find a significant effect and there are, there are a few papers that like found a significant effect that was quite small. Um, but basically like it, it doesn't seem to make a night and day difference. Um, but it, it probably does make some sort of a difference. So the reason I said squat may be different though is uh, just like the positioning that, that long femur specifically could make you have. Um, so, you know, if, so some people, their naturally strong squat position is fairly upright. Every part of the lift looks like a normal, comfortable position for them. Versus someone who has really, really long femurs, they have to basically get their torso parallel to the ground to break depth, mm. probably have a little bit of spinal flexion going on in the process. Like, at that point, regardless of what the actual, like, joint torques are, like, you're just in a bad position. So, like, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna you're, that's going to have, like, an independent effect on how proficiently you can perform the lift independent of what the actual, like, joint torques are. Um, but, but that's probably less of a issue for something like bench or, or deadlift. Um, but yeah, like, so one way that, so the, I think the complaint I hear the most after long femurs in the squat is, oh, I have long arms. So like bench just doesn't work for me. Uh, I don't buy that argument for a hot second because like, (laughs) You so, like, yeah, like, I, I certainly think that having longer arms does make bench more challenging, but you can simulate the effect of having substantially longer arms by benching with a cambered bar. Uh, so a couple gyms I used to train at had a bar with a, a three inch camber, which would be like an eight centimeter camber. Um, so it's like it's it's like the difference of your arms being uh about three inches longer, which which is like a pretty substantial difference. Um and so like for me the, the last time i was benching with one of those bars um my best pronated bench or pronated grip bench press was like right at 200 kilos maybe a little bit below um and my best bench with the Cambridge bar was like 184 so yeah like it made a difference it made me weaker but you know it it was less than 10 percent yeah like my arms being substantially longer wasn't the difference between like 200 kilos and 150 um or 100 (laughs) yeah or, or 100 so yeah like i or or you know take someone who has really long arms and they're clearly built super well for the deadlift uh you know you could have them do deadlifts from like a three inch deficit And like they're not gonna hit their old or they're not gonna hit their PR from the floor, but like they're probably still gonna be stronger than you, you know? Mm. So like you can you can kind of like simulate the effects of of differing limb links that way. Uh, and and yeah, like it makes a difference, but it, it doesn't make the type of difference that would justify like the amount of blame people put on it.
0: Mm -hmm. And you could still touch, you mean, you could still touch your uh, bar to the chest, right? Yeah. It kind of brings up another separate discussion about body types. And uh, another thing that people can't seem to grasp is that some people are just, uh, like, the best lifters are built for the sport and not the other way around. So the best squatters are sort of built for the squat and they haven't become best squatters because they um somehow uh basically we come back again to the same discussion that they also had the genetic advantage for it. Um now with the bench press for example I guess for someone with very long arms they would simply run out of like horizontal adduction before they could touch their chest or the bar to their chest, I guess.
1: Oh yeah I mean that's that's certainly a possibility.
0: And the same for the squat um but for those people in the extremes uh, they should just probably pick some other exercises uh, but usually when people bring up this excuse it's uh, and it's one i used in the past too it's i mean i have long femurs but it's not like you said it's probably compared to the to an average guy or average beard is probably five to ten percent longer but it's not as bad i mean if i wear weightlifting shoes that is good if i Wear uh, where weighting tissues and another uh heel elevation that I can squat just perfectly upright and with um with like a front rack position uh I can squat like and I look like perfectly upright and look like a, I was born to squat. So it definitely can be done. It's it's not uh uh as big of a deal as some people make it out to be.
1: Do you know who uh do you know who Steve Goggins is? Steve Goggins.
0: No, I only know David
1: Goggins. <laughs> uh, so Steve Goggins, a lot of people have forgotten about this guy. Um, he was, if memory serves, he was the first guy to squat, uh, 500 kilos in, in, in equipped non-tested powerlifting, but still like he broke that barrier. Like he's a legend of the sport. Uh, People forget he exists. They shouldn't. Dude was freaky strong. Um, but, like, if, if you go back and look at that guy's squat videos, like, dude did not look like he was built that well to squat. Like, he had some long legs, and, like, to hit depth, like, his his torso was almost parallel to the floor. Uh, but like, dude made it work. And, and for a modern example, um... You look at someone who was built really well for the squat, uh, people have short memories so people may not remember this name, but Carl Einvar Christensen, uh, Norwegian guy, young dude, squatted like 480 or something, uh, in single ply in the IPF when he was like 23 or so, like young. Um had some knee issues so he stepped away from the sport for a while i think he's trying to make a comeback as a 120 or a 105 though um but anyway like dude dude had an absolutely gorgeous squad someone who does not have a gorgeous squat is blaine sumner but like he's the best in the world by a considerable margin and also if you look at blaine's squat like none of his squats look hard Like, I've I've talked to him about this. The reason he doesn't squat more than he does is because the IPF doesn't allow uh, bars other than, like, a standard power bar at a meet. Like, if if Blaine was allowed to squat in single ply with, like, a 25-kilo squat bar, I bet he could squat, like... I don't know. Probably not quite 600 kilos, but probably not too far off. Um, I mean, like... He has training lifts with 500 that make it look like the bar is completely empty. But anyway, like, his squat, again, like, doesn't look good. Like, he's not perfectly built to squat by any means. Um, But just from, you know, practicing the movement as it works for him and just getting outrageously strong, he still squats, you know, 550 kilos or something ridiculous like that or i think i think it's like 530 or 525 whatever it's it's some absolutely ridiculous number
0: yeah without getting stuck too deeply into this um where do you think this balance lies because i try with myself with all my clients to find the most beautiful looking squatting for them because i have this idea in my head that you know i'm you're mostly squatting to build bigger quads, so I don't want them to have their back be the limiting factor, for example. Um where do you think this balance lies?
1: You know, I, I feel like this may drive like sciency people listening to this podcast crazy. But I don't I don't think that's a bad heuristic. Like if if you've if you've coached a lot of squats and you know what a good squat looks like, I think there's just kind of a, it's like, it's like the United States Supreme Court's definition of pornography. Like, you know it when you see it. <laughs> um, and like, if a squat looks good, and if the subjective feedback from the client is that it feels good, it's probably good. Um, and yeah, that, that very much matches my experience. Like when, so, a ton of people send me videos asking for form checks, and I should tell them all no because I realistically don't have time to look at them all, but I do still look at them all um <laughs> and like the advice I give is purely based on like okay, I've seen hundreds of thousands of squats. I see how your squat looks right now. I think if you did this, it'd make it look better um uh, and like the and and people ask like oh like biomechanically why is that it's just like i've coached a lot of squats i just think it would look better and feel better <laughs> and more often than not i'm right um but yeah it's 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 kind of more of a subjective thing than an objective thing like sometimes it looks good sometimes it doesn't and and sometimes like a particular squatting style will look good for someone and that same style doesn't look good for someone else so um Like, I've had a couple clients with, like, really, really long femurs that, for them, like, a very hip-dominant squat looks, like, natural and graceful with their build. And if I try to get them uh, to, like, a more knee-dominant squat, the amount of forward knee travel that it necessitates, just, like, they can get in that position, but it just doesn't look like any successful squatter I've ever seen before. Um, cause like most good squatters, like their knees do come past their toes, but they're not coming past their toes, like 20 centimeters, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, if, but like a more like upright quad dominant squat may look very good for someone who's built differently. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I really think just getting reps, practicing, coaching people, uh, getting their subjective feedback, like just asking them what feels good. And then kind of like building that mental catalog of like, okay, with someone who looks like this and a squat that looks like this, here are changes that'll probably help it look a little better and feel a little better. I don't think that's a bad way to go about coaching the movement at all.
0: All right. So that was episode 33 of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Greg Knuckles. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you find it helpful, valuable, interesting, funny, uh, all of the above. So as usual, I want to end the episode with my own uh, takeaways and some of the key insights I feel Greg has uh, provided us with. So the first is simply to recognize that some people are just baseline stronger than others or they will have faster progress and it is what it is like. Greg was very, very clear in this, like, you know, not everyone can be a basketball player in the nba like not everyone can be uh, a mensa scientist not everyone can play soccer at the highest level or football <laughs> as uh, i should properly call it and uh, for sure not everyone or anyone can be an ipf for a champion or a wmbf uh, world champion in bodybuilding so as much as we don't like acknowledging that because we are guess a bit more emotionally invested when it comes to lifting and our physique and stuff it's just reality and you just have to get over it the second point i want to highlight is um, the impact of build or structure and anthropometry to use a fancy word on your strength Um, now greg mentioned that on the extremes there is definitely a very big impact so if you have a super 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 long femur and super short torso like you just have to bend over like crazy to hit a squat you probably shouldn't really squat and um, if you check out my latest instagram post about what i consider to be the best quad builder out there i also touch on this very issue there but outside of those extremes like if you're talking I don't know maybe a 10% difference from the mean on the average it really doesn't matter that much and there are things you can do to overcome that you can raise your heels you can uh, maybe pull from a block so you don't have to pull quite from the floor you can use some sort of um, closer grip wider grip touch lower touch higher on your chest there are many ways to to overcome this you can use a higher incline for example instead of a flat bench what i am trying to get to here is that your build is probably not the reason why you're weak like me it's just you're weak because you're weak (laughs) and the solution is to just get stronger period so i hope this uh comes across as a positive message because this this is definitely intended as such. And the third and final point is something that perhaps um, will be missed by many because it wasn't the main talking point, it was just sort of a a side tangent we touched on. And this is something that I have probably mentioned already and I will mention till the end of my days, which is that women can get strong. Women should get strong. Uh, women can build muscle and women probably should build muscle because muscle is not just aesthetic. It also has a ton of functional roles, which I plan on doing a separate podcast on. But the main um, uh, message from there is women can build, relatively speaking, just as much muscle as men. Now, the starting point is higher for men or the baseline levels are a bit lower for women, depending on how you want to look at it. So the absolute amounts will be a bit lower. However, relatively speaking, if a man puts on ten percent of his body weight in muscle, women can do the same. It's just it's going to be a lower amount. Women can definitely build muscle, so don't dick around with pink dumbbells and banded dildo pushbacks and you know uh, assisted pull down, push downs and whatever the hell Instagram women do these days. Go do your heavy lifting. I guess the main message of the episode is just get stronger and uh, don't worry too much about what others do because it's not really influencing your results. So I hope I didn't ramble too much here. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate every single one of you who is tuning in into these semi-weekly episodes. Next week will be the final part of my discussion with Lyle McDonald, and then we'll come out the second part of this uh, conversation with Greg. So until then, take care and go lift something heavy.